This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. What is a catechism? That's our, that's our main topic today. It's a word that we don't often use in today's society, right? Uh, it's a word that definitely exists sort of within that churchy sphere. I thought for today's episode, Father Jeffrey, I would give you a metaphor I use to describe what a catechumen is for people you know, in Canada in the 21st century, just to get an idea of what it is and how much, um, how much responsibility comes with that role, right? Um, so here's the metaphor, and then I'll allow you to react to it and you know, pick it apart if you need uh, or add nuance or whatever it is. Um, so... If you think about the formal entry into the church, let's say baptism, right? You're being baptized into the church and you make the metaphor that that's like um, marriage, right? That's the, that's the ceremonial official beginning of the full commitment in a new life of community or you know, whatever. Then you have the period before a marriage, you have the, um, the engagement, right? And, in the context of entering the church where you have baptism, you'd have a period called uh, for those that are to be illumined, right? Those who are going to be illumined. And that would be when you've picked the date, right? We've picked the date. You're going to be, you know, baptized on Easter Sunday, right? So for the 40 days of Lent, we're going to do preparation and you are now in the group that's called, you know, the, those to be illumined or the Illuminati. Um, <laughs> uh, then before that, right, you have, so before an engagement, you have a couple that's dating, right? And I think that that is where catechumenate, or if you're a catechumen, you're sort of dating the church, right? That yes, you've made a certain amount of commitment, right? You are, there's, let's just say there are relationship expectations, but the purpose of being in that space of dating is to actually learn about the other person, right? Learn, is this the life that I want to take on and to live? Um, and that's sort of what it's like to be a catechumen, that you are learning about the church. You're learning about how the gospel is to be lived out in the context of our Orthodox faith and figuring out if that's the, the direction that you want to be going into and if you want to kind of take the next step. Does that, would you say that that is a useful metaphor to give or is it maybe off on some places? I know metaphors, always metaphors have an end anyways, but. Yeah, no, I think for the way you've described it and actually the, the criteria you're using for those different stages are, you know, very suggestive. I mean, because it's about commitment, right? Uh, and levels of, of commitment and, you know, the kind of, you know, ability to exit from, from, from the commitment. And obviously that becomes, uh, you know, not impossible, right. You know, we're never tying people's freedom, uh, down or, you know, making them, you know, constrained by this, but there, there are increasing levels of commitment that are involved here through those different stages, which are also levels of kind of, uh, exclusivity, 
right? So you can imagine somebody was starting, you, you went backwards, so let's go forwards now, but kind of initially somebody is just kind of exploring spiritual options, as it were, you know, they're spiritual, but not religious uh, in, in the kind of uh, context of, of today. They could be looking at different possibilities, whether that's just different brands of Christianity or whether that's different religions or, or whatever. They're, they're kind of, you know, they're on Tinder, you know, to do the modern metaphor of this and they're swiping right or left or whatever it is. I have no idea what that means. Um, but, uh, you know, so they're looking around, right? They're shopping, they're, they're trying to find that thing that's going to kind of address that, that spiritually. But by the time you get to something called catechumenate, you know, you have decided on some kind of commitment to 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 this thing and it's a kind of level of courtship you called it dating but i'm not sure how dating works these days maybe it's not as exclusive as what i would have in mind but but this is a there's an exclusivity to it when you're a catechumen you are no longer shopping around you are no longer considering other options you have said okay i'm not yet fully participant in this i'm not yet fully capacitated to involve myself at all levels of this but I'm not exploring any other options right now. We're really courting, we're learning about one another. And that's where this whole notion of catechumenate is about. It means to, to, to listen, to, to hear, to, to, to learn orally, essentially, right? That comes from the Greek word to, to teach orally. So the one who's a catechumen is one who's being taught, instructed, in the faith, who is listening, who is really attending to the word. And it's for that reason we call that early part of the liturgy, the liturgy of the catechumens. And in ancient times, you were dismissed if you were a catechumen after that point. So you'd heard the scriptures, you'd heard the preaching, you'd heard the prayers, but you weren't yet ready to go on and participate in the, the, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, the great prayer of thanksgiving of the Eucharist, or participate in the divine communion. So that intense period of attending to this is an exclusive one. So if you think about all the language in the liturgy about, you know, wisdom, stand upright, let us attend, let us attend. That is the job of the catechumen is to attend to something. So you've moved out of exploration or just kind of wide looking at different things. You are attending to it. I think all of that is what pertains here. So you're right in this kind of metaphor of a gradual commitment it makes perfect sense. You know, hopefully at this stage, you aren't, you know, looking at the other uh, potential partners. You've, you've committed yourself, you're courting, you are exclusively committed to that person, but not yet fully hitched, as it were. Um, although you're moving, you know, towards that. And so that latter part of catechumenate called, uh, you know, those who are preparing for illumination, which, you know, takes place and still is liturgically reflected within the Lenten period, but halfway through, uh, we shift to praying uh, specifically for those who are going to be baptized at Pascha. And then obviously, you know, when you're baptized, you're in, you know, and it's a very, you know, you know, most people, if they were trying to get out of it at that point, would just simply leave. But essentially, there's a, a, a process that has to be invoked, like there would be about getting out of a, a marriage at that point, right? Marriages do break down. People do sometimes, sadly, not fulfill their baptismal covenantal promises, but that has, there's a kind of indelible effect that that has on it. By our baptism, we are actually changed in our very being from being, you know, uh, members of this passing away age to being citizens of the age to come. And so that changes us. We, we are made part of the new creation. And to leave at that point is a very serious business indeed. Agreed. 
Hebrews chapter 6, or indeed any of that discussion in the early church we referred to in the last episode about what happens if you don't live this out. Can you get back in? You know, it's a it's an open question in the early church. And so by that point, it's really serious commitment, like a marriage is, right? And you don't just walk away from that. There's a there are consequences. So uh yeah, I, I like the metaphor. I think it's it, it works on, on many different levels and it, it's maybe one that uh people would find useful to think of if they are on that journey themselves. So let's maybe go into some of the history perhaps of the catechumenate or being a catechumen. Uh, my understanding from, you know, learning from you at, at school and everything is that um, one of the primary times to receive people through baptism was at the f- Feast of Pascha at Easter. And um, you would have catechumens who are spending time preparing, maybe with a formal catechist, you know, a teacher. And then they would be received formally kind of on on easter so could we maybe talk a little bit about the connection of catechumens with the period of lent because you know lent is something that i think a lot of people whether you're actually in the church or not are familiar with you know this 40 days before easter uh, in, a, in the popular imagination um, but it's as a time of preparation for easter but indeed, I think it started as a time of preparation for catechumens to be baptized. Well, that's right. I mean, so the way you know to, to frame this isn't to say um, there was Pascha and Holy Week before that and, and Lent before that. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't this be a really good time to be preparing catechumens and to receive them at Pascha? Wouldn't that make a lot of sense? Right. And you could, I think a lot of people might imagine it. It kind of happened that way. It's actually the reverse. Right. We were preparing catechumens and receiving them. And that created this period that then, you know, is attached to Holy Week and, and Pascha. And so it's not that that was an appropriate time to do this. It's that that became this time because it emerged out of the preparation of catechumens and so forth. The early church, we, you know, that first emergence of a, of a kind of Lenten, you know, period, a period of fasting and so forth was actually connected as an after theophany, after the baptism of our Lord fast rather than a pre-Paschal one. So the very earliest practice in Egypt of that was, you know, and, and this comes from the gospels, right? What happens to our Lord after his baptism by John in the Jordan and the descent of the Holy Spirit, he's driven into the wilderness and spends 40 days there fasting and praying. Well, that's how the early church had this kind of period of, of 40 days. Well, it was only once, you know, Pascha itself became, you know, emerged as a major feast. In the early church, everything was Pascha, right? So it hadn't emerged as a once a year event with this whole cycle of services around it. But by the time that does emerge, it's a baptismal feast. And that 40 days then becomes the preparation of catechumens for their baptism at Pascha. And so the all of the structure of the services of making a catechumen, of the prayers for catechumens, of of turning catechumens into the fotizemini, the, the those who are preparing for illumination halfway through Lent, all of that is a reflection of the fact that it comes out of, of this period. Now, you know, the early church had years and years, you know, typically three years of uh, preparation. If you were to present yourself, having done all that window shopping and looked around, explored every world religion or 
faith and you decided you wanted to be a Christian and you were presented and you were you had to be presented by a sponsor, somebody who could vouch for your sincerity, for your for your commitment to, to that life, the early baptismal um you know, homilies and instructions point out that you are already to be living a kind of pure Christian holy life by this point. So you had to be demonstrating your commitment, not just articulating it through through your words. So you present yourself in that way. You've gone through uh, several years uh, of instruction and so forth. You would then, at the very beginning of a Lenten period, be inscribed into a book. You would go and be presented with your sponsor to the bishop who would write down your name in a book and say, okay, you're now on this last kind of furlong of of this race that that you're running. And then there would be regularly throughout the Lenten period, prayers for catechumens that were offered and exorcisms. So this would be done regularly through through the church. And all of this as as a community activity. Remember that this is not an individualistic, you know, enterprise here. This is about joining a community, being full part of a family. And so all of the family gathers together to pray for these candidates to help in their preparation. The bishop in the early church would lead a lot of this instruction. We have baptismal or pre-baptismal homilies from from great saints of the church, St. John Chrysostom, St. Syrup Jerusalem and others. these so-called mystagogical catechesis, and the mystagogical just means that to basically to lead into the mysteries, right? So this was about preparing people for that. But the 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 point is that the whole community is gathered and joining and saying these prayers. And that so therefore, what you're asking the catechumen to do in terms of this intense period of fasting and prayer and preparation for baptism, the community is doing alongside. So why do all of us participate in a Lenten 40-day discipline, the, four, the great 40 days? It's because we together are fasting and praying with the catechumens. And in fact, you know, to return to something we've already referred to a couple of times, we are thereby remembering our own journey, you know, annually through that. And ultimately, while we participate in the final, you know, services of baptism and chrismation, we will be remembering, and we should have a memory of it, because it only happened when we were about three, four or five years old in that middle Byzantine period. We'll be remembering when that happened to us, right? When we were trotted out and, you know, plunged into the pool and then clothed in white and then brought back into the church and the chrism with its great fragrance applied to us and our, we were tonsured and holding candles. All of that was is in our living memory and we are annually reminded of it. Well, the same thing happens with Lent itself. Why do we fast every year prior to Holy Week and Pascha? It's because we are remembering our own Lenten catechumenate and and preparation, you know, for all that. So all of the prayers that we today have kind of thrown together in this one quick service of making the prayers for making a catechumen, and they're typically done in a 10 or 15 minute period, those were spread out throughout the whole 40 days. And you would return to the church, be exercised and prayed over and invited to kind of move forward. And I say at a certain point, halfway through, those who are definitely going forward, that Pascha would be called those preparing for illumination. And at that point in every liturgy, you have the prayers for the catechumens and dismissal of those, and then further prayers for those being uh, preparing for illumination and dismissal of those. You got dismissed as a separate category. All of that I mean, is part of our liturgical tradition, and we do it almost unthinkingly or unconsciously now, but it, it deeply, deeply reflects this whole deep connection between Lent 
and catechumenate. And so I think it's marvelous that, you know, we can, you know, really expand that in our imaginations again and see how rich that is for a lot of our parishes where we once again have, you know, people who are of an age who can, they, they can be properly catechized and we're receiving adults and teenagers and families you know, with all this, let's recover, you know, the fullness of that tradition, make Lent about that again. And all the people, whether you were baptized as a baby or not within the Orthodox Church, you can still revisit catechumenate on a regular basis. And let's make this a kind of annual, you know, uh, recovery of learning to listen, to attend to the word of God in this deep, uh, committed way, you know, and back to your analogy of, you know, let's re- court God and, and have him re-court us uh, and, and let's rediscover that exclusive relationship that we're meant to have because all of us drift away from that all of us have wandering eyes let us return to that kind of dating exclusivity that we're meant to have and so I think there's such richness in this that we can really you know pastorally missiologically and otherwise live in our Christian communities The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. So... There is at the beginning of the prayers for receiving a catechumen, there are, to put it bluntly, exorcisms, mm-hmm. right? So exorcisms are performed over a person becoming a catechumen. And for those listening or watching, sometimes these prayers are done actually immediately before the actual baptism happens right so they're not done when a person is received as a catechumen they're done at the end of the catechumenate when they actually get baptized and sometimes it is done these exorcism prayers are done when you receive somebody as a catechumen at the beginning of their catechumenate um so i mean maybe we could just do a quick touch on why some churches do one way some churches do the other but maybe the main question is why right off the bat this person's like okay i think i might be interested in learning more about orthodoxy in a formal way it's like okay well we must perform an exorcism on you now <laughs> um it can sound a little intense i think well yeah and uh, you know i think it does need to be explained um to people and hopefully in most cases it is rather than just sort of being left to their own imagination why it is that, that we do that i mean we, we had an episode at one point i i believe we talked about things like spiritual warfare and exorcism generally, and how it's a lot more normal in the Orthodox Church than, you know, say Hollywood uh, would depict it, um, you know, maybe in a more Western Christian context or or whatever. But, uh, you know, we'll, we exercise lots of things and regularly, right? You know, in fact, regardless of whether these prayers are used um Hopefully, at the very least, in every Orthodox tradition, we are all exercising the water of the baptismal font 
before the baptism. So regardless of whether you do the catechumenate prayers or not, there is an exorcism at baptism. And that's where the, the devil is cast out and all the demonic powers out of the water so that it becomes a true font of, of rebirth. So we're doing the kind of great blessing of waters. In fact, a lot of the, the, the prayers um, you know, sound a lot like what we do at Theophany with the great blessing of waters to the baptismal font at the moment of baptism. So regardless, there's exorcism. What is exorcism all about? Well, Remember, the fundamental thing that's happening here is this, you know, so-called ontological or being level transformation, right? To, from things of this passing away age to the life of the age to come, right? From, from the old creation, the fallenness of that creation or the incompleteness of that old creation into new creation. And what is the characteristic of the passing away age? Our Lord himself refers to this in the gospel, particularly in the gospel of John. This is a major theme, that there's the prince of this world, the prince of this age, the one who was seen, you know, it's an empty authority eventually, and it's one that has been trampled down and, and inverted and so forth. But the prince of darkness, Satan and all the demonic powers have authority in this age. And that's reflected in all of the levels of oppression and political exploitation, manipulation, you know, all of the things that we know are systemic to this passing away age. Um, those things need to be rejected and, and put aside. And because what is happening here is someone is embracing the lordship, the kingship of Jesus, who is God represented to the world, right? As the, 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 his God himself, the God who created all things has come into this world and his, is, is the true king and Lord of all. For those who accept that authority, they are given the opportunity in the middle of history before the end to participate already in the end of all things in the kingdom and the age to come. So what happens in baptism is a move from one world to another. I mean, that's really what this is about. This is what's really important that we don't forget our baptism. That we keep learning to rediscover it and relive it and implement it. We have to keep returning to it. We should never forget it. Every moment of our lives, we should be thinking what our baptism, what our chrismation represent. So that move from this world to the world of the age to come to the kingdom is what's happening here. So what exorcism is about is precisely the rejection of the power and authority of those powers of darkness, uh, of sin, of death, uh, and a rejection of that, and an, a turning then towards the light, the light of the age to come. And so every single one of those prayers, whether they're directed backwards, and this is reflected in the, um, the very posture of the candidate being brought forward, right? So you face to the West as you are rejecting this world and everything that's passing away and the authority of that and all the, you know, Satan and all his pride and all his pomp and all, you know, all that is a rejection towards the West. And then you turn liturgically, you know, towards the East to, to pronounce your faith in Christ, to, to say the creed, to, to confess. And this is done multiple times, right? There's the, the, the rejection of Satan and then the, the reception uh, or the, the proclamation of faith in, in Jesus Christ. And these, these liturgically are powerfully expressed in, in different postures, you know, not only facing towards the West, but it says in the service itself. And again, so this is assuming somebody's able to do it, an adult, not a, an infant. But when you are rejecting Satan, you've got your arms raised and defiance, you know, that kind of fists to the air. I reject this 
right? And then you turn to the east and it says the arms go down in a posture of submission and you bow your head and so forth. All this is really powerful, dramatic, you know, ritual that reflects rejection of this age and acceptance of the age to come. So that's what the exorcism is all about. It's about re- throwing aside those dark powers in order that there'd be openness to, towards the light. And so it's not at all a, a kind of spooky Hollywood-esque, uh, you, know, um, you know, horror film, you know, kind of exorcism. This is just simply the very foundation of what's going on, right? That we need to reject everything about the powers of darkness, in order to properly actually receive this world as it was intended to be. The new creation is not a rejection of this world ultimately, but a renewal of it according to the original purposes God had set up. And so we are it's kind of like going from being against the grain of creation to being with the grain. You know, you're, you're sanding a table, always sand with the grain. Well, that's what being a Christian is all about. It's learning to live according to the, the the purpose and the directionality of creation itself. And it's actually the far more comfortable way of being human. So that's what exorcism is about, getting rid of that stuff that's not properly human and ultimately good for us and going towards the light of Christ, the one who created all things, brought all things from non-existence into being and living according to that light. You mentioned, Father Jeffrey, the episode we recorded on spiritual warfare. And I just want to let our audience know that if you're not a a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half of everything me and Father Jeffrey create. So, you know, you're only getting half of us. So if you want the the full, if you want it, well, first of all, if you want to get access to that episode on spiritual warfare, um, we do have... um, we have a, a Patreon, so you would go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom, and you can pick a tier. And there's things like live streams and, and things like that. And that's where we do our primary online community with comments and questions. So yeah, feel free to become a patron and you'll get, I think we've been doing this for a year now, Father Jeffrey. So there's a giant backlog of episodes that we recorded. So that's uh, right. We but, save all the good stuff for that, right? We save all the good stuff. The last week was a little controversial publicly too, you know? Um, okay. Final question for today's episode, Father Jeffrey. So you have these catechumens who are people who are like learning and, you know, there's sort of a trajectory that one day they will become Orthodox. What happens if they just decide that it's not for them? Like, is there any kind of special send off? Like, I, you know, I don't know what, what happens if a catechumen is a year in and decides Okay, well, not for me. Like, what does the church do at that point? Well, we don't have, you know, any, you know, uh, what is it, releasing from the catechumenate prayers and, and that sort of thing. I think, I mean, the, the the fact that this could happen is implied in the the hopeful but not determinative language of, of the prayers, right? Uh, you know, by the very end of those prayers of receiving a catechumen, I mean, maybe we'll just read that very last um, prayer. Uh, o Master, Lord our God, call your servant or handmaid to your holy illumination. So call, and there has to be this ongoing call, invitation, and count him or her worthy of this great grace of your holy baptism. 
put off from him or her the old man and renew him or her unto life of the age to come and fill him or her with the power of your Holy Spirit and the unity of your Christ that he or she may no longer be a child of the body, but a child of your kingdom. So this is all, it's anticipatory, it's hopeful, hopeful in that true Christian sense of thinking that this is a concrete reality that can take place, not just some sort of pie in the sky thinking, hope, you know, hope in the Christian sense is a real conviction that this is the the ultimate reality of all things, but it's not a constraint, right? So the implication, obviously, is if you walk away from this, the opposite is going to happen, right? That they will not be counted worthy of this great grace, that their old man which is to say this the, the the old creation will not be put off, that they will still be just constrained by, and that's where the real constraint is, right? You are still a slave of the prince of darkness, that you are an old man, that you are not renewed unto the life of the age to come and not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in the unity of Christ. And therefore still, rather than no longer, but still a child of the body rather than a child of the kingdom. And so, Already, you know, the categories are set up and, the, and it's a choice, you know, right, right back to the first century and the great text like the Didahi, the teaching of the holy apostles, right, which you know, it, it implies catechumenate, it implies teaching and, and, and hearing and so forth. And it talks about there are two ways, you know, there's the way of this, which is under the prince of darkness, being a child of your body, a slave to this world, or there's the way of life and of freedom and of and of the new, the grace of the new kingdom kingdom and a new creation and so forth. So those two choices are there. And for a catechumen to live as a catechumen is to know that you have those two ways before you. And, and, and the invitation is to adhere to that, that path towards the light. But you know, we never take away the option of, of not doing that. But it, you just kind of reverse the language of the prayers here. You'll see that, you know, what the implication is. And we, by all means, we will not stop praying and loving, you know, all the people in, in this world. But there is a sense in which, you know, there's not a whole lot more that we can do. You know, if you've listened, if you've attended, if it, I mean, really... The church should be doing its job properly. And if, if people are walking away, we, we need to be self-critical and say, what did we miss here? What, what did we not explain properly? Or how did we not welcome? You know, I think it's often down to hospitality and maybe people who feel that they're not a good fit. Well, what does that mean? You know, how, how can we have people leaving the church because they don't think they belong? We should be making sure that people of all kinds and backgrounds and so forth. I mean, how sad is it, for example, when we have these kind of monocultural islands of and insular entities of Orthodox churches that somebody says, well, I guess I'm not Greek enough or Russian enough or Ukrainian enough to be, belong to this. Well, you know, that's clearly on us, not on them, right? Um, and we are then, you know, the, who are those who are no longer, uh, you know, not children of the kingdom, but ch- children of our bodies, uh, this kind of ethnic identity and so forth. So we need to examine the reasons people are leaving. But if it's ultimately, you know, we were actually hospitable, we were explaining and loving and, and welcoming as much as possible and inviting, we're doing all the Christ-like things and people walk away. Well, that happened to Jesus too, right? We, famously in John chapter six, Jesus talks about being the bread of life and about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And people think, hang on a minute, I, this is not for me. And they walk away, right? So he has catechumens, people who are listening, who don't fulfill, you know, and come to the glory of the kingdom. And well, if that can happen to Jesus, it can happen to us. So on the one hand, let's not be too hard on ourselves, knowing that that's a reality. This is 
you know, I, this is a real ask and a, a real commitment has to come forward from people. But on the other hand, I think more often than not, we are par- probably at least partially responsible for not truly representing the gospel to people. So let's make that the core of our parishes and our mission communities as well, that we are genuinely proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And if it's on that basis that people reject it, you know, that's that's down to the Holy Spirit and the relationship with that person, not us. But if we are proclaiming that and living that, then we are doing our, our right and bounden duty here. But um, but yeah, the, the peace prayers for, for the catechumen really are, are offered in, in great hope that they will actually carry this forward. I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> but we are over time. So Father Jeffrey, if this question is too is if this question is too vast, then maybe we can save it for another time. Maybe for our patrons we can add a special little episode. But um, my question is isn't it unwelcoming to say you have to go through a big long trial period in order to even be a member? Right? Is it can't why can't the Orthodox Church just open up its heart and welcome people off the street like Jesus did? Why do we have to put people through the ringer for sometimes up to multiple years? Yeah, I mean, and there's there's a truth to that, right? There, there there's you know that you could imagine that the really hospitable thing would be to just bring everybody in, give everybody communion, you know, right off the bat, uh, because you know, that would be loving, wouldn't it? You know, and, and there are analogies that you can draw on, even scriptural gospel ones, you know, for that. Our Lord ate and drank with tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners and, and so forth. The, the the real answer from an Orthodox perspective is we are actually doing the more loving thing, which is not kind of binding people to layers of responsibility and consequence that they are not prepared for. Right. So ultimately, that question about, you know, when do you receive somebody for me, in my mind, it's not about somebody earning their right to be called an Orthodox Christian and to receive baptism. It's not like you have to achieve a certain level, right, go through certain, you know, levels of a dungeon and, you know, defeat certain monsters. And then you've earned enough points to, to kind of get to this level of achievement. It's not about that. It's not a game. Uh, and in fact, already in making a catechumen, we've asked people to confess the only thing we're ever going to require them to confess, which is the symbol of faith, the Nicene Creed. It's not like they have to think or believe other things by the time they're being baptized. The actual thing is about making sure that the commitment is open and sincere and, and knowing enough that we are not tying people to responsibility and consequence that they are not prepared for. In other words, if I receive somebody off the street who has no background in Orthodox Christianity and give them communion, I've made them an Orthodox Christian, and that has responsibility. I've given them a vocation, a ministry, a a calling, you know, all kinds of things that they will be responsible for at the great judgment seat. That's way too much to put on somebody without any sort of preparation. And so really, it's the pastoral thing, and this should be explained to people the reason for in the early church three years today for whatever you know length of time that we're asking people if people come from another christian tradition it may be way less than three years right they're already a long way along the road and we're just kind of making sure that they're understanding what they're coming into for people who have no 
understanding of the gospel, no history uh, of knowing anything about it. It could very well be three years, but that's because we care about them. We don't want to lay upon them a burden that they are not prepared for. Because ultimately, if you walk away from it, having been baptized, chrismated, and received communion, the responsibility is much greater. So refer people again to Hebrews chapter six, having tasted of the mysteries, you know, what, how great are the consequences then for, for if you walk away? So it is truly out of pastoral love for the people that we don't just, you know, rush to do this. And I think explained in that way, I don't think most people would, would take that. I mean, obviously there's this sense that we have in a contemporary society about our right to be able to do something and to have it immediately, right? That we don't, you know, force people to wait. But I mean, it's here, an analogy, it just popped into my head. I don't know how good it is, but I mean, we don't, give the vote to people who are not 18, right? And it's not because we think they're stupid or we think that, you know, they're going to make the wrong decision or whatever. It's just, there's a layer of responsibility attached to voting, to being a full participant in our democracy that we don't want to put onto people who are not, you know, ready for it. So it's, it's that preparation, that catechumenate that's absolutely essential. And it, so it works, you know, on both sides of that commitment. We don't want to lay too heavy a burden on those who are not yet ready to, to receive it or carry it. Right. Uh, but that really should be the decision factor or matrix here. If, you know, when am I ready? When will my presbyter or local community determine that I'm ready to be baptized? It's because I'm ready to take on the responsibility of being a full member, which should be a reminder to all those who are already members that they also have a responsibility, right? How soon we forget, right? That that baptism is an ordination unto ministry. And we talked about that in another podcast about ordination to lay ministry and leadership in, in the church. So I refer you to that. That's about what we don't want to lay on people just off the street who have had no preparation. Well, thanks, Father Jeffrey. I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, anything else you wanted to add before we say goodbye? I think we better call call it quits there. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. We'll see everybody next time. Okay. Take care. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show. And if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.